We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. FFPC main event strategy for the final week. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas and Gretsch. You can newsletter at gretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Final of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we drafted another main event team this morning. We never did hit record during the draft. Uh, we just finished it up. We figured we would talk a little bit about that team, talk a little bit about broad FFPC main event strategy. We built a really fun team. We were at the 107. We got Jamar Chase to fall there, which was exciting. Austin Eckler goes 103. Jonathan Taylor falls to the 104 in this draft. Najee Harris went 106. After Jamar Chase, we were a little bummed to see Kyle Pitts go one pick before us in the second. I kind of pushed us towards Javante Williams. It was my first share of Javante Williams, who we got in the second round. Gabe Davis in the third. Kind of put our stamp on that one. You mentioned the Week 17 matchup between Jamar Chase and Gabe Davis as a, as a fun combination. Darren Waller, Jerry Judy, Drake London, J.K. Dobbins, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Rashad White, Garrett Wilson, Raheem Mostert, Gerald Everett, Justin Fields, and then Aaron Rodgers in 14 and 15. We went late-round quarterback on this build. Noah Fant. Evan McPherson, David Bell, Ronald Jones, and the Cincinnati defense. That was our entire roster. Maybe to recap by position, Fields and Rodgers at QB. Javante Williams, J.K. Dobbins, and Rashad White as our first three running backs. A lot of upside there. Maybe not a lot of early production. That was part of why we added Raheem Mostert. We got Ronald Jones late. Pretty thin at running back. But we wound up with uh, three tight ends. And so that's one little help, I guess, maybe in the flex, not so much in the over two spot, obviously, but Darren Waller, Gerald Everett, and Noah Fant. And then the receivers, five rookies you were mentioning as we were closing out, three first-rounders. George Pickens probably would have been a first-rounder had he not been injured. And then David Bell, potentially the most productive of every rookie receiver. Jamar Chase, Gabe Davis, Jerry Judy, Drake London, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, and David Bell was the full receiver group. But, yeah, it's a fun team. We, got a, we, we talked on the last stream about how round three has some tier breaks. Round five can have some tier breaks. We missed out on Pitts in the second round by one pick. We missed out on DJ Moore in the third by one pick, and that led to the Gabe Davis pick. We're really excited to get Jerry Judy at 507, but Deontay Johnson was the guy we were even more excited to potentially get to fall there. He went 506. We were in a room where some guys fell. 
but we kind of were just one pick away from being in front of where we wanted to be in for, for, for some of these tier breaks, but still wound up with a really fun team. What are you thinking about? I love the way that this one worked out. And I think it's a great example of how to make the draft work for you, but then also the key elements that you need to hit in an FFPC main event, especially if you're going for winning the grand prize. Then let's talk about the FFPC main event for a moment. This is a fantastic contest. It does have a $1 million grand prize. That part in and of itself is just pretty fun, right? I mean, $1 million saying that, it, it raises the eyebrows. It gets the heart beaten a little bit faster in a way that last year's half a million dollar grand prize maybe doesn't. I mean, you would take a half a million dollars, don't get me wrong. But this contest is so much fun. They sold out early last year. They didn't have as many drafts in the last week as a result. This year, there are going to be a ton of drafts in this last week. There are going to be drafts on Friday and Saturday. I think that once that first game hits, you have even more sort of adrenaline in your system. You can't wait to do a few more drafts. You're thinking, man, if I'd only had two or three more with my college buddies, with my coworkers, and then you look up and you know this is your chance because you have this really cool format that you can draft after that Thursday night game. This is the perfect week for drafting. So this is why we have the FFPC main event strategy session here. We're going to hit on some of the big concepts or the big characteristics that you need to have on your team. The first thing that we see, and you mentioned those tier breaks, if you have a pick in the back third, you have to take advantage of the elite tight end. That's your one big trump card in this draft. We saw Travis Kelsey go at the 11th pick. We saw Mark Andrews at the 203. Kyle Pitts, unfortunately, as you mentioned, just one pick ahead of us at the 205. Some of these drafts, I mean, Kyle Pitts has an ADP that's actually a couple slots later. That makes no sense. If you have a pick in the back half and you're not taking him, you're giving away the one really big advantage that you have. Because drafters who are in the rest of the draft now are faced with this big issue. In FFPC... You have the tight end premium. There are only a handful of tight ends who can really be difference makers and tournament winners for you. You now have to either go late tight end or you have to reach. And reaching has historically not been very successful. You and I picked Darren Waller in the fourth round. We had some guys there we really liked and considered. You mentioned Deontay Johnson. He got within one pick of us in round five, but we went down to two seconds on the clock when we took Darren Waller over Deontay Johnson, frequent listeners will probably not be surprised that we got down to two seconds. We take Darren Waller because he's really the only guy left for me. It sounds like his situation there with missing so much time was a little bit of a hold-in. He was looking for you know, a contractual change. Even with Devontae Adams coming over and covering him up to an extent, I think this works out fine for Waller. Adams takes the defensive attention Waller can now run free. We saw even before that it was almost impossible for NFL secondary members to handle his size athleticism profile. He's basically always open when he's running in the secondary. Could be a big time touchdown score. We expect this offense to be run through the air, even though it has a lot of running backs. And we know that Josh McDaniels in recent years has created a lot of running back value on his Patriots teams. But this looks like a Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro attack. They're going to need to keep pace in a frenetic 
an extremely competitive AFC West with the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Denver Broncos. I think that after Waller, there's a massive tier break. The other ultra-talented tight end and proven tight end in the NFL is George Kittle. But if there's one player who suffers immensely from the change in the offense, I think that it's Kittle. I don't. Yeah, there's a different way to look at it where you say if all three of those guys cannibalize the overall upside, they siphon targets from each other, then maybe you actually want to bet on the tight end since if one player makes a difference, it would make the most difference at tight end. But I think that's where I actually get worried when I'm looking at that 49ers offense. In this draft, Dalton Schultz actually goes ahead of Kittle. TJ Hawkinson goes one pick after Kittle. I love Hawkinson, but again, these seem like tight end reach picks. Dallas Goddard goes in round six. Dawson Knox goes in round eight. Zach Ertz in round eight. Zach, Zach Ertz before Dawson Knox in round eight. And so that's the first big decision that you have when you're an FFPC main event. How do I get that elite tight end production? And if I don't get it, what's my plan to make sure I don't overpay? And who can I get later to kind of close the gap? And we've talked about that. When we don't take the elite tight end, those next tiers from an opportunity cost perspective are tough because you have to sacrifice some real upside and you're not necessarily fixing the issue you have. I would point back to an article I wrote in my Substack or, uh, maybe last week, somewhat recently, uh, titled the draft doesn't care what your needs are, where I think drafters understand the value of the elite tight end. And yet when they don't get profiles that they're looking at, they're, they're going down to the next ones. Or I mean, certainly they're probably very excited about Dalton Schultz or about TJ Hopkins and about Dallas Goddard, but I think a fair, accounting of what their range of outcomes is would make that would make those picks tough part of the re, you know on our last show we talked about this fifth round and how the math doesn't really work out where you can't typically at about 507 where we picked or 509 where another drafter got Rashad Bateman someone we took at 501 in our last pick you can't typically get that type of receiver later into the fifth round the math worked out in this one because Dalton Schultz and TJ Hawkinson were both off the board with those guys still on the board Deontay Johnson still on the board as well as A.J. Dillon going before that point. Elijah Mitchell as well. Very interesting 503 pick, I thought. That pushed down Deontay Johnson, Jerry Judy, even Bateman uh, goes, though, at 509. So even, you know, some of what we were talking about with that with the, that math equation didn't really pan out. Metcalf fell all the way to 602, and Elijah Moore was the one guy we talked about at this 5-6 turn that can be there. There were a couple options for for the five, six turn drafters in this one. But again, it required some earlier picks at running back and it required Schultz and Hawkinson to go too high. So when we talk about that opportunity cost element, that's what I mean. It's really hard for me against Deontay Johnson, Jerry Judy, Rashad Bateman types at those prices to, to get the type of hit you need from those tight ends to justify passing on a player that. I mean, this is the range that you know Cooper Cup was drafted in last year in terms of I mean, you know, a little, little higher in terms of round, but in terms of wide receiver, Deontay Johnson wound up as the wide receiver 26. Cooper Cup in a lot of leagues probably was the wide receiver 25, 26. And we've talked a little bit about how Deontay Johnson's profile with all those targets could look like the player that is a top 10 receiver this year. Maybe not he's not a, not a Cooper Cup type hit. Obviously, that upside scenario for Cup was massive, but the idea is with that many other good receivers there, probably one of them is going to wind up being the player when you look back and say, that's the one I needed. I needed that upside profile. Sean, you've written very positively about Jerry Judy. We've talked a lot about Rashad Bateman. Whoever it is, somebody probably at a different position is going to be a hit that's going to make you look back on that tight end pick that didn't really have a lead upside. 
unless again we're completely wrong on the tight end. So the answer for me has been if we're not getting these elite tight ends, these profiles that we really like and, and you just emphasize need to be the one to turn guys, you have to wait. You have to wait until the opportunity cost is different, until you've addressed the other parts of your build that we're going to talk about that are necessary to address. And then you have to tackle with volume a little bit. I know, Sean, a couple drafts ago, you said to me that if we don't get one of these elite tight ends, we probably have to target three of the, you know, Gerald Everett, Pat Fryermuth, Cole Komet range. But those guys are even pretty expensive at this point. Fryermuth and Komet specifically, Alberto, Noah Fant. There are players in that group that will fall. We ended up taking both Everett and Fant here, even though we took Waller. But we got him in the 13th and the 16th round, and that price element is very key. Yeah, and you can be wrong or your tight end can get injured. I don't think in specifically the FFPC and in the main events that you can leave a tight end out there who has a chance to be a difference maker. Gerald Everett, probably one of the best volume plays when you're looking at a guy who still is relatively young and athletic someone who has star potential even though he has not demonstrated that so far in his nfl career but a volume play in that chargers offense and then noah fant actually one of the best six or seven tight ends in the nfl you're getting an incredible discount on him because he plays for the seattle seahawks you cannot leave him out there for someone else in round 16 you mentioned the wide receivers here and trying to have that receiver upside it's a lot of fun to have jamar chase and gabe davis on the same team even if you pay a lot one of the reasons we're okay with taking davis in round three is that the difference between round three and round four is more or less negligible at the wide receiver position especially after the names that ben mentioned t higgins dj moore are gone and we have guys we like in essentially the same tier in that round four range deontay johnson jerry judy we ended up taking the tight end for structural reasons instead, but then are able to come back and get one of those guys in round five. We really like that. It's not always possible. This is one of the drafts that actually confirms that Judy is there in mid round five. Sometimes when we've talked about how he doesn't ever seem to be in the specific ones that we are participating in, you look at the upside from those players. So Jamar Chase, Gabriel Davis, because of where they go in drafts, there won't be too many teams that have both of those guys together. Even though this is a week 15 through week 17 sprint for the million dollars, there is still some value to have a week 17 trump card to where if that game shoots out, those two players together could kind of slingshot us by a handful of other teams. We'd love to be in the top 10 and kind of have that final weekend sweat going. That would be a lot of fun. Jerry Judy, another player who gives you the upside there. But then, then I want to talk about what we're doing the rest of the way at receiver and how it kind of relates to a few of our running back picks as you mentioned, we take Drake London, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, and David Bell. This is the thing that for me determines whether or not you're drafting with enough upside and whether or not you're drafting to not only win your league. And these things should not be mutually exclusive. They should not be contradictory. One of the things you see a lot out there are people talking about plays that give you this chance to win tournaments, but actually crush your chance to just advance. We don't want to do that. We want to have a build that works for both things we want almost all of our teams to get through so we have more than one shot at it this combination here with the rookies it combines aggressiveness with humility in a way that is extremely important you have to have the guts to go after these unproven players and people say well you know they're unproven how do you know it's going to work out well you don't know that it's going to work out but you know that 
these profiles historically have done very well in the last three, four years and have been the fantasy league winners. But precisely because you don't know which guy it's going to be, you've got to then also have the humility to go along with the courage and you've got to take a lot of them and be willing to miss. One of the things that you see when you combine our picks in this range with the other receivers going off the board is the other receivers may have a higher median score, although I would debate that their floors might be better that doesn't help you. If you've built a team that is drafting floor receivers in the middle rounds, you're drafting to finish sixth overall at best. It's a losing mindset and it's a losing strategy. It doesn't mean that we're going to be right on these specific guys or we're going to win this league, but you have to have that type of overall construction if you're going for the big win. And then Ben, that also obviously feeds into what we decided to do at running back, that mix of humility and aggression. Yeah, and that is certainly evident with our first three picks, which we, we didn't draft a ton, as you just said we did at receiver, but we need we pretty much have to be aware that all running back hits can be misses, can be busts. We know over long terms that uh, drafting a lot of them is, is not a, a particularly viable path to winning. Javante Williams, there is some concern there. But he is a guy that I I certainly wanted to get some exposure to at his age and at his development level. Very good rookie season. Had a 28 PPR point per game uh, point game in his one start. Had 20 point games on either side of that game when Melvin Gordon was banged up and returning from injury. Has shown the weekly upside. Has the you know was a 21 year old rookie last year going into year two? There's a lot of profile elements that are favorable there. J.K. Dobbins, another guy that may not be uh, particularly reliable, but we're shooting for the upside and we're ultimately acknowledging that almost any running back pick can fail for you. And and the the high floor ones like you talked about a receiver in particular are not going to help you in in the dead zone. To get Dobbins at 707, you compare him to some of the other picks that went in that 567 range. I would argue a lot of those guys are going to be a lot more stable than Dobbins, but also have a lot lower potential to be difference makers based on the long-term trends on the running back dead zone. Another thing I wrote about on my Substack recently, if you want to read more about the logic and the results behind that, Rashad White, another player, might not have much standalone value at all. But in an offense that generates a ton of high-value touches, ton of passes to the running backs, ton of green zone touches, if Leonard Fournette were to miss, has clear upside. If you're going to take the running backs, I think you have to be swinging at weekly upside, not season-long floor, weekly upside. Uh, and, and that's what I think we have here. I think all three of these guys I can make a case could have 30-point games this season. Are there scenarios where Javante Williams is a disappointment in the second round or J.K. Dobbins is never healthy or Rashad White never actually plays because Leonard Fournette plays all 17 games? Of course there are. Part of the bet. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I don't think we're necessarily losing that bet, even if we're losing on the individual thesis for each player there, because we drafted Raheem Mostert in round 12. He could hit, he could be a floor play. He could be a ceiling play. We don't really know. But one of the things about picking Dobbins and White, you think back to the logic of zero RB. Right. And the idea is that we have the wide receiver firepower to carry us through and we'll find running back value along the way that allows us to win these tournaments. That's been proven over and over and over again that it works. But you could also layer in a few of those guys in the original draft. So we're almost just thinking of J.K. Dobbins as an extra pick in there. He's an extra shot that if you go pure zero RB, you don't have. We now have him for the second half of the season. Or whenever he comes around, you, you want to be thinking about what are the possible lineups that I could have in weeks 15 through 17, and how would those lineups compare to other teams in the shootout? If we get to there, and, and one of the things too with some of these guys is that the fewer teams that actually have them and have them as the players they need to have in the lineup, the better your chances of having the team that wins, right? So there's a uniqueness element in addition to the upside element here. On our zero RB show, one of the claims that I made, and obviously it's a, a debatable claim, it's one that I think is interesting for discussion, but I argue there's no penalty for doing it. If you take J.K. Dobbins in round seven right now and structure your, the rest of your draft the right way, right? It's not just taking him, but and structure the rest of your draft the right way, there's no penalty for that. Of course, arguing that we don't get to take the elite QB, it might've been a different decision for us if Joe Burrow had made it one more spot to go with Jamar Chase. The other interesting thing that we do here, Ben, is that we go late round quarterback. It's not something that we had done before this year. Those guys in round six, seven, eight, they're not particularly expensive and they have a ton of weekly upside. You talk about it's a weekly game. It's going to be a weekly game at 15, 16, and 17. Justin Fields and Aaron Rodgers in 14 and 15 we kind of wanted to take a couple of QBs in some of our previous main event drafts, and it didn't make sense. <laughs> you mentioned as we were kind of talking through it, trying to decide here, because it wasn't even clear to us that we would take Aaron Rodgers in round 15. Amir Abdullah, who goes at the 15-16 turn, was another option. When you're looking at what's the penalty for taking a Dobbins, what's the penalty for taking a White? Well, you can take Amir Abdullah in round 15, and he's going to probably score as many points for you or be within the amount that it doesn't matter as guys going in round six through eight, right? So again, no penalty. We decided to go Aaron Rodgers here. 
this can give us two chances to be right. It gives us a little protection for Justin Fields not hitting what we think. It also gives us a chance to play Romeo Dobbs, who we did not draft in this particular draft, but as someone we have a lot of exposure to, there are some very sharp fantasy minds who are in love with Alan Lazard. They're going to have Christian Watson coming on at some point during the season in all likelihood. And as you mentioned, someone with some MVPs on his mantle going in round 15, that reinforces the fact that late rounds QB is still very viable here. And I think the other big kind of workshop point for me with this is that where you draft your QB has to depend, number one, on your overall roster. And then number two, if the board ends up being flat in a round where you can take an elite guy, and if it gives that player to you, you don't want to force it because it's not the only option in 2022. It's definitely not. And you talked a lot about Rodgers there, but we have talked a lot about Fields being the preferred late-round quarterback. He's the guy we had our eye on sort of from the moment we determined we were going elite or, excuse me, late-round quarterback not elite qb in part because of that dobbins pick and in the eighth we wound up passing on trey lance for george pickens that was in part because we only had to that point four receivers we knew we needed to get more receiver firepower we wind up taking Traylon burks in the ninth garrett wilson in the 11th you could argue with the two qbs and the three tight ends we did not get to enough depth at running back especially with those picks at wide receiver in the middle that is an element that will be a challenge, but it's it's where are you making your bets? And we just talked about the weekly upside at the running back position. We have we have weekly upside at the tight end position. We talked about that. For anyone who's questioning, you know, I was kind of being dismissive of Dalton Schultz and TJ Hawkinson over a range of receivers that you noted right after, Sean. We did take Waller over Deontay Johnson. The difference for me, you look at Waller last year, pulling up his, his stats, in tight end premium, averaged 14.6 points per game in a clear down season. He only played 11 games, was injured. One of his games, he only played 24% of the snaps. TJ Hawkinson, career high, was uh, 0.1 points per game lower than that at 14.5. Dalton Schultz, career high, 14.5 as well. Dallas Goddard ties his career high at 12.7 last year. All three of those guys finished lower than Darren Waller in a down year. The main point is you go back to 2020, Darren Waller averaged over 20 points per game in tight end premium that year. His range, if you just look at raw points scored, <laughs> uh, indicates that there's a lot of weekly upside there and that makes him a, a pretty viable pick. Obviously, there's more to the equation than just past fantasy points. That's the type of thing that we we talk about all the time. But it is important to consider why, why we're saying what we're saying, and, and and I just wanted to defend that because Dalton Schultz went a few picks after, TJ Hawkinson went a few picks after. There's a, there's a pretty quick and easy argument for why Waller is worth that opportunity cost, and those guys are not. But as we look at having Waller with that weekly upside and we look at where we're at at running back, we're going to have enough firepower at receiver with this depth and with all these rookie receivers. A lot of people think of the rookie receivers as very uncertain, I wrote recently about not just Jamar Chase's last year, but Justin Jefferson coming from the middle rounds in redraft was a top 10 receiver the year before. Amon Ross St. Brown last year over the last six weeks was the wide receiver two. A.J. Brown going back to 2019 was the wide receiver two from week 12 on. I think he was wide receiver six from week nine on when he started to get full-time, full playing time. There's certainly upside at receiver for rookies top 10 upside, elite upside. And when you have this much redundancy as you're talking about, Sean, 
knowing that we're going to have misses. We're not just sprinkling in one rookie and hoping that we hit that guy. It's tougher that way. Part of our entire draft philosophy is built around getting enough wide receiver firepower, enough depth, not just shooting for the floor plays as you've already laid out. We have London, we have Pickens, we have Burks, we have Wilson. We even add David Bell late as opposed to continuing to add to our running back build to make sure that we have enough cracks at the type of wide receiver upside that can pair with Chase, Davis, and Judy. And even if one of those guys were to miss, maybe two of our rookies come up and pair so that we have at least four minimum to, to be able to play for. Ideally, more like six. That's the typical goal to have plenty of uh, upside at wide receiver. There will be a little bit of question with running back floor. This is more aggressive than we've been. You talked about Amir Abdullah. We did consider getting a more of a floor running back for this build, but we will get off to a start in that area with Raheem Mostert. He's somebody we're probably going to start week one. Looks like he's going to play a decent number of snaps alongside Chase Edmonds in Miami. And then we're going to have to figure it out to a certain degree. But ideally, J.K. Dobbins will be back at a certain point and healthy. And that is the position that you can try to play through the waiver wire a little bit. There should be ads after week one, roles that we didn't expect, players that aren't drafted every year that we see enough in week one at running back to you can get a floor play out of them at least in week two. And they're not even necessarily the Elijah Mitchells who went for massive amounts of fab last year after week one. But the Cordero Patterson's after week one was was free and was widely available after the week two waiver run where he got a lot more expensive in the leagues where he didn't get picked up. There's several more examples than just those two, but we will address certainly the running back floor element. That is probably the least important part of the entire build. You have to have the upside. You have to have the firepower on the weekly firepower. You talk about the week 15 to shoot 17 shootout, Sean, and we have shots at the running back upside, plenty of shots at receiver because you're not going to find the wide receiver upside on the waiver wire. We have the upside baked in at tight end. We, we go late round QB. We're hopeful that with Fields and Rodgers, we have enough there as well. Those are the, the things as I see it that you have to check. The, the, the boxes that you have to check is enough upside at every position. And I think one of the things that is happening in 2022 is that running back production is so cheap and so plentiful that it can kind of trick you into this mindset of, okay, we need to draft a lot of that and make sure that we have it on the roster that we don't take unnecessary risk when yeah you don't want to take unnecessary risk but in this particular draft for example it made a lot more sense to get those multiple qb paths it made a lot more sense to make sure we didn't leave potentially elite tight ends out there it made a lot more sense to make sure we got david bell who has really virtually no competition there in cleveland and if he develops the way that we're expecting i mean that's the way to play a deshaun watson end of the year arrival not through watson himself in all likelihood you want to get those things because all of those points are going to still be available on the waiver wire at the running back position i think that now that it's so easy to do it can sometimes trick us into a suboptimal build because we're thinking okay we, we want to have those running back points what you want to have is that roster that is best set up to evolve properly as the season goes along Ben, when we look at the the rest of these teams here, we're not necessarily going to break down our opponents, but what are some other things that you're thinking in terms of final points to leave for drafters for this version of the FF main event workshop? We do see a running back, running back start out of the 101 that then has four consecutive wide receivers and Kyler Murray without knowing particularly what those 
picks are other than Murray, obviously I think you're going to be excited about that way to play it out of the 101 if you have a more conservative approach to drafting. That would definitely work. This draft was interesting because we didn't have much in the way of robust running back. We did have a team out of the 103 who took six running backs in the first 10 rounds, probably a little too running back heavy there. We actually have a team that starts Diggs Lamb and then has four running backs in their next six picks, maybe a little bit running back heavy there, although the, some of the specific players on that team are a lot of fun. You mentioned that we took Javante Williams in round two. That gives us a little bit of an anchor RB build. Some drafters in 2022 don't like to really ever get out of the first two rounds without a running back, but it still probably would have been our pre preference to do that. We drafted a team that was running back, running back, and had four in the first six, had a Barkley, Swift, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins teams, Hall and Dobbins in rounds five and six. How are you feeling about that one? How do you like to start structurally in the first six rounds? Well, that one's kind of fun because we still were able to hit Lance and were able to get some pretty good receiver values late that really paid off on that bet. But it is the team I'm most concerned about of, of anything that we've drafted. The team in this draft here at the 10 holes, another pretty interesting one. You see a few more detours than we typically take early. Saquon Andrews' start is a really nice start. Get the anchor running back. Get the elite tight end. Amon Ross St. Brown, late third. And then James Conner in the early fourth. Probably don't go Conner there, but it, you see him go in the third a lot, and I think it's an interesting potential value pick. To, if Conner's able to stay healthy, there's certainly upside, I think, in Arizona's backfield. We've seen that from a lot of different backs there. Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake. Connor himself last year but the the thing I like about it is right after that start with two running backs in the first three and Mark Andrews in rounds five through eight four straight receivers and two more in the four rounds after that still got to seven receivers by the end of round 12 don't necessarily like you know all of the individual names mentioned there but it is a way to talk about if you're going to take a couple of anchor running backs and an elite tight end you better still probably have seven receivers by about that round 12 range. They go late round quarterback. They wind up with just Kirk Cousins. Maybe there's not enough explosiveness at QB there. But at the same time, I, I think the receiving core and the picks that they made should still have enough firepower, could still have enough firepower. And if Andrews and Barkley and Connor are all very good picks, that team could be good. I probably wouldn't have been – if I if I can critique in on Miles Sanders in the ninth and and even Kenneth Gainwell in the eleventh, who was a really nice value, those are picks that could have been used to potentially address quarterback a little bit more aggressively, or continue to hammer wide receiver instead of going back to running back and then back to receiver a couple of times. That's another fun team in this draft. Are there any other ones that stand out to you? No, I think that that sums up nicely what we're looking at a lot of very good drafters here as we always say we like our team we like how it's set up doesn't mean that we'll win it's a great competition because you don't know how it will play out you just mentioned a team that did go late round qb i would encourage drafters if you don't agree with us and you do want to have sort of a double anchor running back start and you're going to push some of those other values it makes the most sense to me if you go with 
some late round quarterback. You just you have to save the other spot for you there. And I think players like Fields, like Rodgers, like Marcus Mariota, who was not drafted at all in this particular draft. I don't think that that makes sense with what his profile is. I think you're looking to hit a couple of those guys maybe or hit one of them that you have the most confidence in early in the season. And then maybe you're looking to add and kind of stash Malik Willis. You're looking for that path to have a hybrid QB who's inexpensive and yet helps you win the league. You get an extra pick if you go that route. You get an extra pick in some of the 9 through 13 round ranges potentially if you get that early tight end. So there are some things you can do to save picks if you want to approach it in a different way than we have. It's one of the reasons why this is so much fun. Make sure that your draft fits together and the story that you're telling with your draft is one that is internally consistent and internally consistent with enough upside. One of the things that you had mentioned there, Ben, that I just would want to reiterate is that the running back position is one that you want to set up to benefit from your waiver wire pickups, right? If you end up with too much balance on your roster, too much running back depth, then you're not the team that benefits from those Cordell Patterson types of moves. The league winners overwhelmingly are players who do benefit from their running back pickups. That's the position where you can get a huge edge by moves that you make in season. So but it's been fun drafting. It's always fun drafting with you. We will hopefully have a couple of more main events as the week rolls along. We encourage everyone to get out there and participate. It's such a fun contest. We'll have more Stealing Bananas content focused on players, focused on how to get going here as we enter week one. We're only a handful of days away from the first game. We can't wait for Sunday and then our chance to come back and speak with you all next week, breaking down what will be a weekend that I'm sure has all types of developments that, number one, are exciting and maybe come through for us. And then on the other hand, so many things that we didn't anticipate and perhaps almost no one anticipated about the 2022 season. That's one of the real treats of the NFL season kicking off. This has been a special edition of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always. It's Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signal. Ben mentioned a couple of the really cool articles that he's written recently. You need to get those. They'll change the way you think about fantasy football. His rankings and tiers will set you up for your drafts over this next week. He also has the really cool venture with Dalton Kate's Stealing Lines. If you want to get out there and make some money on the betting side of it, they have you covered. We'd love to have you at Rotoviz. Dave Cabin has just released the Advanced Stat Team Explorer, which is really like seven or eight tools in one. You can get lost in that for hours. So much fantastic content. We were talking about a lot on the tight end position in this show. Connor O'Driscoll has an entire strategy session on how you need to play tight ends in FFPC and the specific guys to draft to make that work for you. I moved Michael Dubner's best ball Bible back toward the front for anybody who missed it when it came out. Best ball tournaments, just like the main event, fast and furious over this week. If you haven't read Connor, if you haven't read Michael, they will change your approach to best ball, upgrade it, help to put you in a position where you can win these big tournaments we do hope that the next winner does come from the stealing bananas stealing signals rotoviz community and then once more i just want to mention 
the contest, everybody participated in that really blew us away. We thank you so much. If you haven't had a chance, you can still leave us a rating and review. Those help us out with the algorithm. Subscribe to the feed to make sure you get all of these special shows when they don't follow the exact tempo. And and then I think I think that does it for us. It's uh it's been a really fun couple days. We'll be back with you guys soon.